Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Where there are corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders, they call us by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. Right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now's the time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Mueller. Welcome to this edition of the Football GM Podcast. I'm Mike Sando at Sando NFL, senior writer for the Athletic Hall of Fame voter. 23 years covering the league. It's gone by fast. Can't believe I get paid to do this. Joined by Randy Mueller at Randy Mueller underscore two-time NFL GM, 33-year NFL executive. He is the GM component of the Football GM podcast, so you kind of know where he stands uh, in this world. Pretty important guy. Randy, how are you? How was your week one Sunday? My Sunday was awesome. I absolutely loved watching the games and can't wait to talk about a few of them. To comment on what you said about how the time has flown, I always tell my buddies when they ask me about the NFL, I tell them it beats working for a living and it's done pretty good for 33 years. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's really, really great. It was great to have football back, you know, just exciting. And and I can't believe that it was, you know, we for as many things that could have gone wrong coming into the season, I mean, you know, officiating wasn't atrocious. Uh, COVID isn't, you know, sweeping through locker rooms that we know of. The TV ratings were pretty good, you know, all things considered. I mean, it's... Even the quality of play, Mike, that we talked yeah. about and we were worried a little bit about it. I didn't yeah. see a ton of sloppy play at all. So I think you're yeah. right from... From the get-go, it turned out to be better than what most had anticipated. All those guys who grinded through two-a-days in the 70s with no water, you know, um, <laughs> that was all unnecessary, guys. You could have just played good ball anyway. Um, we've got a great show here. So many topics that we were like, can we get all these in? But I th- we're going to try. I mean, we're, we're excited. We want you to be excited, too. We're going to hit on some of the running back contracts that came down uh, right before the season started. We're just going to talk about that position and paying it. It's sort of a hot topic. Randy's got great insights as someone who's had to make those decisions, not just by you know, what the analytics say, but what makes most sense for your team. We'll touch on Aaron Rodgers, his amazing game. I wrote about that recently, but Randy has some other views on it that I really want to incorporate here. I think you'll love. Uh, Kansas City's defense, no one really talking about it coming out of that game. Uh, It's a memory on Thursday, but man, they're a good team. We're going to talk about that defense. Uh, We have some concerns for the Houston Texans. We'll revisit the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to hit a couple games. Rams, Eagles, that's Goff and Wentz. We got the Patriots and Seahawks with Cam Newton going to Seattle. We have our Ask the GM segment in which Randy will make you tons of money by uh, (laughs) today uh, looking at at one of the point spreads that he really likes, just eyeballing it and looking at it and knowing what he knows after 33 years in this game. uh, He knows a couple of things. So thanks for being here, Randy. You ready to roll? Ready to roll, Mike. Let's talk running back contracts. I always like the Saturday before week one because it's kind of the, the finish line, right? For for the, getting these deals done, and we, and we know if you've got a big project, you're going to do. You, you need a deadline, right? Otherwise, you're going to work all night. You're going to go make some popcorn, and you're not going to get it done. 
So some of these deals got done. Alvin Kamara to the Saints, right? Uh, Dalvin mm-hmm. Cook, Minnesota. Um, Joe Mixon was done fairly recently. Derek Henry and Christian McCaffrey before that. So in my world, Randy, of kind of straddling this line between you know media and talking to a lot of people on the football side, you're, I'm, I feel kind of torn because I really do enjoy – the analytics and the never pay a running back stuff. There's a lot of that makes right. sense to me. Right. At the same time, I really understand, um, you know, that it's not that simple from the GM's right. chair. So before we get into that, the philosophical part, let's just talk about these running backs. Let me just say one thing on on the timing of these deals getting done. Like you said, there's there's never anything that happens without a deadline. It doesn't seem like so. The fact that a lot of deals got done over the last 48 hours was not a surprise to most of us that have done them in the past. Um, obviously, the big picture of analytics saying never pay a running back, here, here's the football side of that. I'm always for paying good players. And I think we went through a stint of four or five years where running backs really got devalued. There were very few that, in my opinion, were worth paying this kind of money to. Now we seem to come into a new era where all the guys, maybe with the exception of Derrick Henry, all these guys are three down backs who can score from any place on the field. They all play and have strengths that coaches now are employing in their schemes on every down. And those are the guys that are getting paid. And I think that's the common thread here. I think we're probably splitting hairs as to who's a little better than the other. A lot depends on the coaches and the scheme and how they kind of work them in. For example, the first one was Christian McCaffrey, right? He got paid early on. Everybody in the media, and, and I think most in football, say this guy's the best back in football. Well, he he, he approached those numbers that he had uh, accomplished in the past on Sunday with just under 100 yards rushing, but he only caught three balls. So I think he's going to have to fit into the Matt Rule system now as well. So there'll be a little period of adjustment there. But you're talking about a guy that sets himself apart in that probably the quickest, once the ball's in his hands through the hole and into the secondary, has the most juice, has the most instant acceleration of all of them. And the fact that he can go out and line up as a slot receiver and has the feet of a wide receiver to get in and out of breaks and out of cuts makes him an unbelievable uh, tool, so to speak. Yep. So he's number one on your list of these guys. You're going to put McCaffrey at the top. And yep. I-, I would certainly agree. I mean, I, I think he he is amazing. I do you know, a little bit of concern. You go away from Norv Turner as your offensive coordinator. And I mean, Norv's got a great history with running backs just producing, you know, and really using them. And I think we saw there were some concerns with Cam Newton. Uh, you know, is he the ideal quarterback to hit these precise underneath passes to a player like that? And it was great. I mean, a huge game turning plays for McCaffrey. Can they keep it going? Um, who do you got number two? I think I can guess. I mean, I, I, it's probably going to be Kamara because he's a similar, little bit similar. Yes. Yeah, very yeah. similar. I think, uh, again, a, a shiny toy for Sean Payton in his system that makes it a great fit. I mean, you, you can't tell me that the value of $15 million on a running back doesn't warrant um, that kind of attention, doesn't warrant that kind of cap commitment from the Saints. It makes perfect sense to me, uh, regardless of analytics. You know, you're talking about a guy that, again, can score from anywhere on the field. They find ways to get him the ball gadget-wise. And and you can mark down 80 catches a year for this guy. That's just a fact. The way they 81. He's had 81 in each year. Okay, so yeah, There you go. <laughs> he's made the Pro Bowl every year of his career so far. So I think that's a no-brainer. You know, the third one to me was probably Davin Cook, 
because he has shown flashes of being very similar. I think Davin Cook's just running styles a little different. He's a little more upright, a little more straight line than Kamara. But at the same time, when he comes out the back end of a off-tackle play, he's always looking to cut back, in my opinion. But he has the speed to, to come out the back end and turn the corner and go all the way. So there's a guy that kind of models Kamara um, probably yeah. a little bit light in, in some areas compared to him, but really a good player. Just hasn't been durable, so the body work isn't the same. Yeah, and I just feel like, okay, we're committing. You, you already have a little bit of a tight cap situation with that team, right? And so you've got Kirk Cousins making a billion a year, and he's just okay. Um, and, and then you've got Cook, who's got question marks with the injuries. And I, I get it because they got the Kubiak offense and they really want to have the running back. But, I mean, how many times did Mike Shanahan find a back, right? I mean, in, in that offense, and you just plug him in, and he's good. And to that end, they drafted one last year, the kid from Boise, uh, yeah. Madison, in the third round. And he actually played a lot uh, in in the opening game with six carries for 50 yards. So there is a little bit of a question there as to commit $12.5 million to a running back when you've got others on your team. So that one I found a slight issue with. Um, yeah, I wouldn't but, have done you that. You know, it's all about options. It's all about options. And maybe they just felt like they didn't have any options. I don't know. The kid that they drafted from Boise, I think they view as insurance against Davin Cook getting hurt again. Yeah, absolutely. But a big commitment there. And we'll just see where they're at. It wasn't a great week one, but they've got a track record of doing pretty well there. Uh, who do you got fourth on that list? Well, I had Joe Mixon on there mainly because of his his value in the passing game as well. He's a kid that if he wasn't playing in Cincinnati, everybody would probably know about him. But he plays in a kind of a, a, a tough spot to get attention. So he kind of flies under the radar. But he is a complete back, one of the best backs in the league, in my opinion. He has juice. He has natural running vision. He can break a tackle. I just think he's a guy that at the end of the year, you're going to wake up and say, wow, he made 1,400 yards. That was, you know, that was pretty yeah. quiet. He's like the guy that averages, you know, 15 and 15 in basketball. And nobody knows what he does because he, he never wins the game or he never plays in the playoffs, you know? Yeah. And looking at their roster, it's not like they have a – $42 million quarterback and a bunch of other stuff. And I think that gets to what you're saying is you don't get to build a team from scratch. Right, you know, never. of course, <laughs> Hey, you'd pay your left tackle and he'd be a hall of famer. You'd pay your quarterback and right, you'd right. pay Deion Sanders to play corner. That's easy, right. but you don't get to pick those players and you're looking at your roster going, well, Mixon's as good as anybody we got. We might, right. who else are we going to pay? We got to spend somebody. some money on somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so that leaves Derek Henry as, as the last of this group. And I sort of feel with Tennessee, they're locked into Tannehill for better yeah. or worse. And, right. and Henry, and I understand why they did it. And I'm a little nervous about it, but I kind of get it. Yeah. They're locked in as well to the system that they run. And, and Derek Henry does that very well. This is when analytics goes a little bit awry of team building in that, Sometimes your biggest critics, not sometimes, I think all the time, your biggest critics are in your locker room. And they needed to sign Derrick Henry. They needed to reward one of their own. He's a good guy. He's a leader. He's a, a very well thought of in the locker room. And I felt like this was a fit for them that they just had to pay him. And it was four years, $12.5 million a year. I think it just was a, a message to hey, from the front office to the team that, hey, you come here, you do good, you're one of ours, we're going to take care of you. Um, not to say Derrick Henry's not a good player, because he really is. He doesn't have the value on third down that these other backs do in these schemes that we're talking about. But he's a good, solid back that needs a lot of volume 
and and this offense is set up to give him volume. In other words, he's going to get his 25 carries and and be still 6'3", 250 in the fourth quarter. You know, hard guy <laughs> to bring down. Yeah, and he he just sort of defines what they want to be for be, you know for better and worse. I mean, there's some limitations, but that's what they're signing up for. That's their identity, and they couldn't just pick any other back and have that right. And so um, they're reloading, and we'll see if they can get over the top and. Uh, We'll criticize it then. <laughs> if they don't, I just think, but, it, it, as yeah. a whole, you're talking about a group of running backs that all bring value. And hey, things are cyclical, right? The cyclical thing for the prior five, six years was to not pay running backs. I think you can make a case for paying most of these guys, and it, it makes sense. Yeah, I think we have to say on some of these big running back deals: Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Zeke, even Ezekiel Elliott. I think you know the Cowboys would say they do it again. And there's a lot of them there that you don't love, but in some of those cases. Gurley had a degenerative knee or Bell had been an issue with his team or David Johnson had only done it one year, right? I mean, some of these other ones are McCaffrey, Kamara. These are different guys. They're different. Yes, they're different, different to their team. So, And to say, just to, let me say one thing about David Johnson. A little bit I saw the other day, he's shown signs of being healthy for the first time. So that deal may come back to be a decent deal. But I agree for the most part, that second group that you mentioned are guys that may yeah. not, you could, you could definitely doubt the, the deals that they signed. Absolutely. So our second bullet point today is Aaron Rodgers' amazing game. And it was kind of funny. I had written a piece on Friday in The Athletic that uh, was fun, just researching uh, the kind of the history during Aaron Rodgers' time there of the receivers and tight ends and how they've diminished, you know, and, and clearly gone a little bit downhill. And so I've been critical of of the Packers for, you know, having this very amazing Hall of Fame quarterback talent and not you know, being the only team in the last five years to not draft a wide receiver in the first three rounds, right? And leaving a lot of yards and touchdowns on the field and and not taking care of them. Kind of a team that doesn't have an owner, really. And usually you'd have, you know, if it's Peyton Manning, you're going to Jim Ursay or somebody, Robert Kraft with Brady, they're going to say, what are we, you know, we got to get this guy something. But we had an interesting conversation on this and you kind of flipped it around on me. And I want to hear your take because to you, it wasn't a coincidence that, that Aaron Rodgers played maybe one of his best games in a while. Well, I, I, I have been lucky enough to go to their training camp the last couple of years. And I'll be honest, when I walked away, I was a little disappointed. And one year was when McCarthy was still there. And, and then obviously yep. once with the new coach, I, I thought there was a little lack of detail and fundamental work by him. I thought Aaron looked bored. I thought he looked a little stale. I thought he looked, um, I know this, when I'd go to the to the Patriots camp, there was no staleness in Tom Brady. Every day he was getting his ankles taped and they were rolling. And some of it is, is, uh, Rogers just kind of laid back attitude, you know, California, California guy. And him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Hey, I'm a West coast guy too. I get it. But, but I, I thought there would be a little more there. So when the, when the Packers drafted Jordan Love this year, and let me just say this, they traded up to draft him. And I thought <laughs> that's that a was big a, deal. <laughs> that is, that's a big difference. When you trade up to get somebody, it's not like when Aaron Rodgers came there, he kind of fell in their lap, right? They traded right. up to get Jordan Jordan Love. And so I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be interesting. And never did for a second that I ever think he was going to play this year or probably next year. But I thought it was a way to secure a guy at, at the hardest position for the next 10 years and also maybe wake up the guy we got a little bit. And to Aaron's credit, he's handled it good. But he also, if if the other day is any indication of how he's taken it, he's taken it like a pro. I saw a focused guy. I saw a guy that was on point. I saw a guy that was sharp mentally. And I saw a guy with fundamentals that took me back 10 years when, when he first started playing. So I viewed it as a plus for them to get 
love. And and yeah, they may have needed a receiver here or there, but I also think Brian Gutekis knows these receivers he has, and I think he's waiting on them to develop a little bit. Could I have shown the patience that he has with them? Probably not. I probably would have went and found another one somehow, some way to throw in the mix. But I think his move to get Jordan Love had a lot of different angles to it, and I think it's already paid off if they get a, a refocused and refined Aaron Rodgers, that's for sure. You know, that's really interesting. The fundamental part of that is really interesting to me, Randy, because you know, not to equate, not to equate you to Aaron Rodgers, but you played quarterback in college, you know, and so you're familiar with the position in a way that I wouldn't be, you know. Um, and I, I felt just layman's eyes watching him and, and for that project I was doing that it seemed like a lot of his bad plays were the easy ones, the short ones. You know, he makes the amazing one down the field, but he's always going off one foot and flipping it. And yes. He dirts he dirt some balls that you and I yeah. think anybody should be able to make, a five-yarder, right? So yeah. did you see that on the little stuff? I'm going to try to go back and watch. Cause- yes, I saw it in practice, and that's what kind of led me. And yeah. I hope I'm not talking out of school here, but when I saw that in practice, I saw a little bit of lack of detail. That's the part I saw. I, I, I compared it to when I saw Brady, and Brady is the same like a robot every oh, yeah. every down he's working on footwork and and fundamentals and I just never saw that with Aaron and I thought gosh he's developing some bad habits here like you said of kind of throwing off the back put, foot and flipping the ball here flipping it there yep but I didn't see that yesterday I saw a different guy and if I had gone and we nobody could go to training camp this year but I I told to myself if I'd have gone to training camp this year I'll bet I would have saw a little different Aaron Rodgers in in his work habits and all the other stuff uh, that he did preparing for this week's game. Maybe Santa will have to come back and say, you know, it really wasn't the weapons. It was no, but it's a combination. These things go yeah, together. No Obviously, yeah. they could use a tight end and all this stuff. I'm not going to. I'm not taking all that back. But I think that's a right. great point and a a great consideration that some of it is on him too. And, I, and like my criticism of Rodgers is, you, you know, and I wrote that in my pick six column today is. You know, when when it's not going well, he he looks like he checks out. You know, and remember remember when everyone got on Cam Newton for not recovering the fumble in the Super Bowl? Yeah. Well, Aaron Rodgers did the same thing against the 49ers. He just looked yeah. at it. And I just think he uh, got bored. And, yeah. 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 I want to see him fully engaged all the time and lead that yeah. team. And I saw it on the sideline yesterday. He was over there. Yep. You know, the the uh Valdez Scantling maybe had dropped a ball or something. He's patting him. So uh yeah. great stuff there. Um now distant memory, but this is big for the season. Our third bullet point today is Kansas City Chiefs, and we always talk about Mahomes and Andy Reid, and now they got a new toy in the backfield, right? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who carried the ball about a thousand times, <laughs> uh, and gained about the, a thousand yards. Yeah. yeah, you forget that Andy Reid's had leading rushers in the league, Lashawn McCoy. You know, he, he's had Kareem Hunt. He had Jamal Charles for a good year too. So he's had good running backs, uh, but it wasn't really offense at all that caught your attention in the in the first game against um, Houston. What is it about the defense that grabbed your attention and makes you think that, hmm, maybe this isn't a team that's imbalanced and only an offensive team? Well, once I got past the uh, plastic shield that Andy Reid was wearing on the <laughs> sidelines and, and the and the fact that it fogged up about every third play, and I think we need to do a segment on masks that the coaches are wearing around the league because the, it's yeah. comical, some of the stuff. I don't think Sean McVay ever put his above his chin yesterday. So The, the uh, memes. Andy Reed, yeah. <laughs> he the, was the other extreme, yeah. you know. The, the memes crazy. on this were great of uh, <laughs> the, what he actually saw. It looked like a guy in a car wash, you know, and they're <laughs> yeah. like, hey, why did, why did Andy Reid go for it on four? down. He didn't know what down it was. He couldn't even <laughs> see the game, you know? So. <laughs> he couldn't even see his play sheet half the time. Yeah. It just cracked me up. Yeah. He said, hand it off to that new kid I got and see how yeah. it goes. <laughs> Once I got past that and was able yeah. to look at some tape, I was 
really pleasantly surprised by the defense. And I didn't go into looking at the film as if I was going to say this, because I think, like most, that the Chiefs' defense has been pretty maligned, and rightly so, the last four or five years. They have not been confused with the monsters of the midway. But I thought what I saw was I saw a demon in Frank Clark coming off the edge. I saw a guy that when they traded for him from Seattle, I know they were criticized or took criticism for how much they gave up. But this guy showed he was a game changer in the in the game the other day. I mean, they could not block him. Um, he, he can change the course of the game on any specific snap. But the other thing I saw is a defense that was well constructed to the schemes that they're going to run. I know they changed defensive coordinators a couple years ago. Yep. That scheme is now in play. And I thought they did an excellent job of playing some combination coverages with zone in the back and man for man underneath and their corners held up against the receivers from the Texans. I I was impressed with that. And then I coupled that with the interior line play. Um, Derek Naughty, a big, powerful dude from Florida State. I remember going there on a school visit when I was with the Chargers and standing next to this guy and thinking, this guy's arms are bigger than my thighs. I mean, this guy's giant, you know, and he's playing like that now. And they had another kid that they kind of found off the street that I don't know anything about. I can't wait to look into it. A college free agent named Sean Wharton in their rotation inside that he played like Cortez Kennedy. I'm telling you, he was under people's pads and knocking them back. And I was just impressed with the physicality up front that the Chiefs played. That's not something I did not equate with them at all in prior years. And the fact that they were able to run some schemes that they executed very well uh, in the game Thursday night. They ran really good man-to-man coverages and I think confused Deshaun Watson a little bit and where he was scrambling to make plays. Now, a lot of it was because they had pressured him so much that he had to move off his spot early in his downs. But at the same time, this group played really good together. And I looked at it as, man, this is bad news for the rest of the league, especially the AFC West, because we know what their offense is all about. And if if Andy can see out of that mask for uh, the, the coming weeks and be able to get him on track, this defense is going to be something else. So I think it's a great group to watch. Yep. And, you know, one thing that stood out to me is is we know how good Andy Reid is in developing, right? I mean, he can, he, for whether it's Alex Smith, I mean, a lot of guys have played their best ball with him. Michael Vick, even late in his career, came on and was really, you know, for a run, they're always the most exciting player um, in the league. And so I see them, you know, drafting the running back and then they've got that new powerful guard assembly, you know, and, and developing that aspect of their game, flexing that and having that. They know Mahomes and Tariq Hill are going to be there. And then on the defensive side, in Spagnola, you have a guy who's, you know, been head coach. So, you know, it didn't go great for him and the Rams, but guess what? That, that's what happens as a head coach. You can't control everything, but this is somebody who probably, can have a long-range plan, can probably develop over time. Uh, they may be one of those teams that just gets better and really grows into that scheme on defense now, hitting stride and whatever it is, the third year of it, and you've got the personnel now, and and everyone's on the same page, right? The head coach, the GM, they've all been there a while, and uh, good things going there in Kansas City. They're getting rewarded. Yeah, yeah I think they, they've refined the criteria for how they – go and attack finding players. And that's the key in in the NFL nowadays is if you can set your criteria to where everybody's on the same page in what you're looking for uh, via positions – yeah. You, you'll find that you'll you'll build your team a lot quicker than anybody else. It's just not collecting parts. It's collecting parts that do exactly what they want to do. And New England's made a dynasty out of it, but it looks like yep. the Chiefs have got some of that carryover with what they're doing. And credit to, like you said, Andy, credit to Brett Veach, the GM. They've done a good job of building that team and and really had a fine eye on 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 the schemes that they're going to use. 
Our next bullet point is Houston Texans. You know, they were on the other end of that beating. And, you know, in my quarterback tiers project this year, Deshaun Watson sneaked into the top tier. And it felt a little early, maybe a half year to me, but he sure did carry and put him on his back. I just wonder, maybe maybe I'm reading too much into the first game, but is he going to be in the tier two next year? Because it's just too hard to do with what he's asked to do. Or are we going to see it all even out? Hey, look, in their division, Indy lost to the freaking Jaguars. You know, are they right. just going to come out of this and be fine? And by the end of the year, they got their 10 wins. You know, what do yeah. you see? Is there anything concerning? Well, I think in their case that what makes it really tough, and I didn't expect them to win all the games, don't get me wrong, but their division is going to be tough. They're going to be in a battle every week. Um, as you said, Jacksonville even won uh, over over the Colts. So that's that that may be a tougher game for them than people think. But what I saw there is is I saw a quarterback that's really pressing to make all the plays. Obviously, uh, DeAndre Hopkins being traded in the offseason is a tough one for them to follow. Um, I think Bill O'Brien, the head coach, the GM, I think he figured when he let Hopkins go, he can scheme an offense in the passing game to get people open. Um, scheming the running game is going to be another story that is going to be a work in progress. But I saw Watkins is, he got a little bit away from his fundamentals. Um, Deshaun Watson, I'm sorry. And, and he, he ran early and he ran way too often for my liking. I fear for this guy's health. I'm afraid he's going to, uh, get squashed one of these times, but I, I love to see him get back to some of his fundamentals and throwing on time. It seems like he's trying to run around and make plays till people get open. And part of that is because these receivers really didn't do a good job of getting open. Like we just talked about the chief's defense kind of blanketed him for the most part. But the one thing he had in, in uh, Hopkins, the re- bigger receiver was he had a guy he could throw to when everybody was covered, even when he was covered. Cause he's a bigger guy. He catches way outside his frame. He, he, he found a way in this league, they cover you to catch when he's covered. They just don't have that element right now. So even more important than the players that they have, they miss that skill set of a guy who can catch when he's covered. And I think you'd have to look for them to find that some way, shape or form. They're going to definitely refine the running game to take some of the pressure off the quarterback. They're going to have to do that, but that's going to be a work in progress. Yep. I want a big time tight end for him or, you know, yeah. uh, some sort of a Hopkins replacement. We talked about, you know, the weapons for Aaron Rodgers, but all these guys need them. There's a baseline level of weaponry that you need to have, or your guy's going to sink. You know, and I know we've seen that with different guys, uh, even the, some of the top quarterbacks like Watson. So that will be very interesting to see what they can do with limited resources with all the money they've got. Yeah, yeah the good news for them was that David Johnson, the running back, showed he kid, he still yep. has the skill set that he had in 2016 when he had the big year in Phoenix. This guy was impressive to me. You you watch him run and you forget he's 225 pounds. Yeah. He breaks Unless arm tackles. <laughs> yes. It, it, he's, he, he forces arm tackles and breaks yeah. them. And, and he also showed ability to get through the hole and outrun defenders to the corner of the end zone on that one touchdown run. So yep. that's a positive for me. They need to build on David Johnson and, and make him a little more of the game plan and try to take some of that pressure off Deshaun Watson. Absolutely. Okay, Dallas Cowboys, you and I talked about them last week, uh, and we were skeptical for for reasons. A lot of them were structural, some of them talent, but here they come out in the first game and, you know, lose to the Rams. And I think we were more nodding than saying what the heck happened, but uh, maybe not a good sign early for, for the Cowboys under Mike McCarthy trying to get going and live up to what seems like always are expectations set way too high. I think it's a different dynamic there now than was a couple years ago. An offensive line that's not what it was two years ago. They struggled to keep uh, people off 
Dak Prescott's back last night. You know, they're playing a college free agent at right tackle that the media locked onto. And, and to me, he got kind of worked over. There's an education there. And you know what they say, education is expensive, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it almost got <laughs> Dak Prescott killed last night. But <laughs> anyway, they, they, they have put together a pretty good group of players, but I don't think it's what they had a couple years ago, especially on defense. And I'll credit Sean McVay in that game. He hammered them. Uh, in his running game, I think to the tune of 40-some carries for 153 yards, and that doesn't happen in this day and age. So I think Mike Nolan's going to be tested too. They're going to have to find a way to slow down the run. I think um, they kind of got out-schemed and and out-coached a little bit. And to go with what your point was, Mike McCarthy, just to me, watching him on the sidelines last night, that doubt that we talked about last week was still there. I saw a guy that really didn't have an effect on the game. You know, his his ability to affect the game in Green Bay was always to call plays and to make uh, moves on offense and to be a chess player on the offensive side. I didn't see any of that with him last night. Yeah, None what's he doing? I mean, yeah. usually that guy is that play caller. He's standing there and he's fully engaged with the quarterback and he's going to make a change if something's going on. And I just feel like he's watching, like he like he's invisible almost standing on the sideline and the team knows the deal. I mean, the team knows it's Jerry Jones's team. The team knows that he had to keep the offensive coordinator. The team knows all of these things. And I think when things get tough, that makes it hard then to be the one to pull them out of it. Right. What, what can he change? I guess he could take over the play calling, but. Well, uh, yeah, that's right. And I even saw at the end of that game, Kellen Moore kind of snuggling up a little bit to Mike when they show him on the sidelines and he was almost looking for help. And, and I don't know, just the dynamics there is kind of funky. It, it, Mike isn't going to have as much input if the offense isn't his to start with and if we're doing what Dak Prescott and the Cowboys had been doing. So there's just a disconnect there. An interesting thing watching, though, I feel like their best mode is almost Dak Prescott in two minutes. You know, <laughs> he, yeah. he's better in that than right. what you think of what their team is. You know, they've always been the offensive line and they paid Ezekiel Elliott and run and play action. But uh, Dak does show some things. I think even if, you know, there was a really questionable offensive pass interference call late in the game, they could have been down in there in the scoring zone, won the game and we we would still have the same concerns but they'd feel a lot better about it so uh it's a long season we'll see where it goes we do have a couple of good games to get to this week um rams at eagles interests me and you for a little bit different reasons i think i maybe i i focus on the quarterbacks too much i like the idea of golf going against wentz and and sort of seeing these two guys out of the same um draft class and we will get to that i think each one of those guys carries his own a burden into this game. But from a scheming and planning standpoint, there's some interest in this game too. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't wait for week two to see what these coaches come up with from a game plan standpoint. One, they analyze their own week one. And two, they get to look at film actually. How about that? Actually yeah. film. They had no film last week. They had no film from preseason. They had no film from new personnel that were in the game. Um, no idea really what the other side was going to do. So this week two is going to be about adjustments. And I can't wait to see what Doug Peterson comes up with for the Eagles. I mean, they gave up eight sacks. They blew a 17 nothing lead. I mean, that was embarrassing, right? I mean, oh. They, they got to find a way to to do that, Carson Wentz was awful. They had the, they had the lead, and then he holds the ball forever. He makes some crazy throws that admitted to, that he even admitted were bad. Uh, who knows? And then you got the Eagles that I mean the the Rams that that uh, 
came out and were in the four corners for the most most of the Dallas game, in my opinion. They kind yeah. of took the air out of it. Yep. Will they end up doing that again? You know, I don't know. It's I think the matchups are fascinating. I'll let you talk about golf and yeah. wince a little bit because that does fascinate me for a different reason. But I think these game plans that coaches are going to employ in week two are going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I, what I see with the Rams and, and golf is that uh, McVeigh controls that whole thing, right? I mean, they, oh, they yeah. play the way McVeigh wants to play. And so there's a predictability to how they're going to play. It may not be good enough sometimes, but I sort of feel like, I you know, hey, the Rams are going to do what they set up to do. Carson Wentz, on the other hand, is a is a slugger. He's a boxer who goes in the ring and he doesn't keep his hands up and he can't wait to knock you out in the first round. He just can't help himself. And I, I used to go to the Gruden quarterback camps every year and John would get all excited about this guy or that guy, but I've never seen him more excited about anybody than he was for Carson Wentz. And that's how I feel personnel people are too. I mean, people just love this guy, love him. I mean, there's just something about him. And the way he plays, but I just feel like he doesn't have a governor on him. And so he's always going to make the critical mistake. You know, it's just wired into his DNA and the eight sacks and all that. That can't happen. He's in his whatever, his fourth year. And so beyond that, here's the burdens I see. I think Wentz has a hard time in Philadelphia overcoming the fact that Foles won the Super Bowl. I mean, you can go your whole career in this league and do a great job and never even get there. So they may never win one. He'll probably never win a Super Bowl. I think that's hard to overcome. For Goff, I think it's the idea that it's McVeigh is the whole key to everything, and which we we believe because Goff was terrible before McVeigh got there. Then Goff was great. Then Goff wasn't as good when things fell off. And what is Goff? Does he ever just pick up and carry the team? And I don't think we've seen that. I don't know that he can do that. But I think we'd rather have what Wentz can be. But sometimes I'd rather have what Goff is going to give me this week. Because it's <laughs> safer. Points. You know? So you're saying that that uh, Goff shouldn't have got the money. They should have gave that to McVeigh. <laughs> a little bit. Million. I mean, yeah, I'm with you a little bit. But I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like Wentz is a little bit like a, a better version of Josh Allen. You know, there, there's a smash up derby effect to it. You know, they're gonna. It's gonna. <laughs> there's a little train wreck effect. Yeah, the he's gonna to get hit go hard. Twi- yeah, yeah, he's gonna get hit hard really twice. To have a bloody nose, and and in the first. He can't go six games without having to come out of the game because of how he plays. And people admire that about him. But you got to play within the system. And I, I'm a little bit concerned there. So we'll see. With Without great weapons for, for Wentz, they're going to have Jalen Ramsey. You're going to have Darren, Aaron Donald coming up against that line that has some defections or, or some weakness. Uh, we'll see. Our next game is a fun one, too, I think, with the Patriots at the Seahawks because Cam Newton – Got the full Tim Tebow game plan from uh, from Josh McDaniels, who drafted Tebow. Obviously, Cam can do a lot more things uh, as a quarterback than uh, Tebow ever could. But but fifteen, I think fifteen rushes, maybe that might have counted a kneel down. But it was about as run heavy as even Cam's ever been in his career. Now you're going to go to Seattle. I don't think that's going to outscore Russell Wilson. What interests you about this game? Well, again, I think the game plans interest me the most. I think we knew exactly what. New England was going to do with Cam Newton. They did it. Miami held in there. Miami slugged it out with them. But Miami still, I was surprised, didn't have a lot of answers for the quarterback runs. Cam Newton walked around the end a couple times, and and I was in awe of that. And I don't see that happening when they go to Seattle. I think the interesting part about the game to me is that Pete Carroll will find a way to put Jamal Adams, as if they were a man-to-man coverage, on Cam Newton. And I think that's going to be fun to watch. They're going to have run designs for him to do certain things. But, you know, I don't want to date myself, but 
going back to the day, we had Brian Bosworth in Seattle as a middle linebacker. We used to match him up on John Elway as a spy, right? This is before spying was even a a thing. A thing, yeah. Tom Catlin, the old coordinator. Yeah, Yeah. he covered Elway everywhere. And to this day, Elway would shake his head. I guarantee if you ask him about it. So that's what I think Pete Carroll's going to do with Jamal Adams. I think he's going to hook up his new fancy, bright, shiny toy and find a way for him to take – uh, the run game, the quarterback run game away from Bill Belichick. Yep. I don't know that the Patriots have enough weapons on the outside to do anything else. So I just don't know if this offense is sustainable in the form that we saw it last week for the Patriots. So, and here's the thing. I know from watching the game the other day that Jamal Adams is at the peak of his physical prowess, okay? When he comes around the side and hits Matt Ryan, he hits him into Jake Matthews' legs, and I'm thinking, oh, you almost got two guys hurt. I don't know that Cam is as physical as he used to be. I think Cam used to go around the corner and look for guys and put that shoulder down and he would smash you like a bug. I saw him kind of drifting around the corner and, you know, just sort of diving under. He wasn't really looking for guys. He did go down a couple of times before contact, which tells me he's getting smarter, but I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I think if you're going to run at that position, you you got to be real careful. And some guys are. Russell Wilson, it's second nature for him, you know. I just think if Cam Newton does it enough, he's going to get hit. And I think this is the type of team where you got Bobby Wagner, and the Marquise Blair guy. Um, so I want to see. At the same time, I think that uh, the scheming of New England is great, and they have to know that going in, and we'll, we'll see what they can come up with. Uh, but certainly an interesting game. It's time for Ask the GM. All right, our last segment today, Ask the GM. Uh, Randy, we got a good one for you. If you play these betting lines, you know, if you, if you play every game, the, the bad guys in Vegas are going to win. But sometimes it's fun to pick out a game and just say, hey, maybe the wrong team's favored. Was there one that stood out in week two for you that caught your attention? Well, sometimes it's about what team is more desperate. Having spent the amount of my life in the NFL, I felt like that we always played our best when we were the most desperate. And it's hard to to figure that week two, there's desperation. But I saw a game with with Buffalo going to Miami this week, and Buffalo's a five and a half point favorite. A home underdog. Miami's usually a tough place to play in September when it's hot, when it's humid, especially for teams from the north when they come down there. But I also think Miami's going to be a better team than they showed the other day against New England. I think um, they come kind of got Belichicked in the schemes and in the planning stages. I think they'll rebound this week. I'd be surprised if they don't give Buffalo everything they got and and I think have a chance to win the game outright based on, again, their their feeling of, hey, we're a little bit desperate. It's a second division game in a row and it's a home game in September in Miami. I, I like the Dolphins in that matchup. Absolutely. You know, as the Bills were playing uh, yesterday, I had my eyes on a lot of games, but, you know, Josh Allen's stats look pretty good. But then when you watch closer, I mean, he's getting hit hard. The ball's coming out twice, I think, early in the game. And those are the sorts of things that are going to even out and catch up to. You're not always going to be playing the Jets. So I'm with you. I think that's an an interesting game where Miami probably didn't play well, you know, in the last game. Maybe it gets Ryan Fitzpatrick's attention and he doesn't throw three interceptions because that's a bad sign a little bit out of the gates. But he can be real streaky. He can be up and down and maybe at home they get that one done. Thanks, everybody, for coming along this week. Uh, We're looking forward to week two already in the NFL, and uh, we'll catch you next time. 